the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. All right, Aubrey. Donald Miller, Blue Light Jazz. You're, yeah. I'm sure, have you ever read Blue Light Jazz? So I, I actually, this is a little bit embarrassing. I have never read Donald Miller, but I have read portions of many of his books because Kevin used to read a lot of his stuff. So I would pick it okay. up and thumb through it. Great writer. I, for some reason, I just didn't, I don't know, not, not like as a stance. I just never really got around to it. We might be the only two pastors from the last 20, like from the. Oh, have you not ago. read Blue Like Jazz either? Uh-uh, uh-uh. <gasps> uh, but obviously, we're in we a little club, I think. Uh, Blue Like Jazz, as an aside, is kind of where the world got introduced to Mark Triscoll as well, I That's believe. That's right. In yeah. there. So, wildly uh, popular book. Wildly, wildly. Yeah. So, uh, the reason we bring up uh, Donald Miller is because he did like uh, an Instagram video that was also on his Facebook page where he was literally in the middle of getting an oil chain. So, in this, you might hear some dinging. Uh, but he talked about a book that he would like to write in his future. Basically, what's the faith that I've kept? Uh, and what are the things of religion? And he, he's very honest that he's not going to church right now. Yeah. He talks about not going to church because people always kind of want to take him to coffee and ask him about blue like jazz and other things. Uh, but you also sense kind of a wrestling, right? right. Like uh, a wrestling. So we're not going to play the whole thing. You could go find it at his Facebook page. But uh, listen to a couple minutes here where he talks about community and also kind of the nature of church. Church is not a huge part of my life. Community is a huge part of my life, and pastors are a huge part of my life. But church isn't a huge part of my life. The the sort of rituals of going on Sunday morning, which I think are incredible to build a a, a culture, they've just sort of fallen out of my practice. And the reason, there's several reasons for that. They're very nuanced. You know, one is um, when I plug into a church, a lot of people want to get coffee or something like that. And so just that, that little thing of not being able to, please all those people was part of it part of it was i would often just disagree with what was being taught i mean I, you know i'd hear something and go that's actually not at all what the bible is saying um in my opinion and so because i have this sort of obsessive compulsive disorder that lets you be a writer <laughs> you can just drill down for a year on one thing and not let it go like a pit bull that does not serve you <laughs> when there's a different idea major theological idea being presented sunday after sunday you kind of need to take that stuff in stride and really be there for the community and the friendships and and the, the, that sort of stuff. That said, not, not a whole lot has changed for me theologically. I, uh, I pray to Jesus more now than ever because I have a daughter. Uh, and what is left? And what is left for me? Oh, the other thing is I would say that the other thing that I can't get with in almost any church in the country is the certainty, the certainty that the Bible is inerrant, the certainty that the earth was created in seven days, the certainty that it wasn't, the certainty that, you know, all this certainty, to me, screams of a a lack of respect for the truth. 
And the truth is, we don't know. We, I, I pray to Jesus, do I know that the Bible's in there? I don't know. It might be. But there's almost zero churches, in America at least, that would stand up and say, hey, hey here's what I think the Bible is saying, and here's, it could be this, it could be this, it could be this, but we don't know. That doesn't sell. It's very hard to get a tribe together around we don't know. Instead, we make incredibly concrete theological statements, and we sign them, and you are either for them or against them. That I don't keep. All right, Aubrey, as I listen to Donald Miller, uh, I resonate with some things that he says, and I, I uh, bristle at some things. Yeah, same. Yeah, so kind of the, uh, we, the, the idea of community and the idea of what's the purpose of the church, I think there's a, I don't know, there's a flippancy to what he says and almost a little bit of an arrogance. Like, Not a little bit. There is, a, in my you. mind, I, I heard a lot of arrogance in what he said. But go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, it's good. That just kind of says, I don't need this in my yep. life. I get it from other places. Church is this. I want to just kind of tell him, if I were sitting with him, like, Dude, you are the one who doesn't paint everything with a broad brush. Go find the church you're talking about. Well, that's like, it's what I, I out there. That's what I found a little bit. I guess the arrogant part was one. Okay, you disagree with every pastor you've ever sat under. <laughs> under that might be a problem with you. Two, can we go to a church where we disagree with the pastor? Um, and then I think three, there are a lot of expressions of church, especially right now, more than ever. You know, there are there are so many. There's Anglican churches. There's non-denominational churches. There's mainline churches. There are options for him that I, I think is maybe a little unfair just to say there's no church I can go to. Right, right. Um, or at least I don't think that should be one. There are many reasons he may not go to church. And I get that. I totally, I have compassion for that. I don't think that should be one of them, that he just yeah. can't find a church. I, I, I don't know. That feels a little bit, I'm going to say lazy, but I'm also going to say arrogant. I'm trying to find some compassion for him, but I'll be honest. I tend to really, really, really struggle with anyone who is deconstructing their faith outside of a church community. Hmm. I don't think it's a faithful way to do it. I don't think it honors the history of Jesus followers throughout time, throughout space, throughout the globe. Yeah, And I think it's way too individualistic, frankly. Now, I don't know what it's like to be such a famous author that you can't go to church without someone asking you for something. Someday, someday. One day. That's my goal. <laughs> but I, I also know there are a lot of famous people. I think of the comedian Michael Jr., who faithfully attends Gateway Church in Dallas because his pastor has said repeatedly, hey, we've got some celebrities here. They get to have their own ex worship experience. You leave mm -hmm. them alone. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And so I also know that is possible in the right church. So I, I don't know. I, I, I want to find the compassion. And like you said, there are things I do agree with. Like, of course, religion is not the point. Relationship is the point. We've known yeah. that for hundreds of years, thousands of years. But there are some other things that I just, I find frustrating and find a little bit like he's just being trendy. Uh, that's a good point. I that's a good way to put it. So let's talk about the idea of community. What's uh, you know the the need for church community? Because he somewhat was like, listen, I've got community. I got it at yeah. work. I got yeah. it in my neighborhood, which are important. Yeah. Um, and he's got it with pastors too, which is interesting. 
But I think both you and I would say that there is a different purpose to the community of the local church. Not always done well. Right. Uh, not, oh, and that's a problem in churches that they have to wrestle with. But what would you say to that? That I get community here and there. I don't really need it in a church as a, as a Christian. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say it's a misunderstanding of the church because again, like, if you look scripturally, you see that God has always put uh, families of believers together in order to love the neighborhood and in order to honor him, in order to live separately. And um, while also, you know, pouring into where they live. And, and then, of course, there are things traditionally like sacraments, like baptism, like the Lord's Supper that we do mm-hmm. and should only be doing as part of a church body of believers. And then there's things like accountability, uh, knowing and being known. A little bit to say, I'm not part of a church, but I still pray to Jesus, etc. I think is that dichotomy that's been a problem for a long time that again, Mm -hmm. goes back to the individual nature. Like we think our, our worship is only individualistic. But again, we see through scripture that God has been constantly making a people. Yes. And so to say, I know better than God, I don't need that people that worship him in a local context. I, again, that goes back to arrogance. I, I think it's, I think it's unwise. I think you that are right. That wasn't maybe was, very helpful, Brian, but what, what would you say? No, that was really well put. I think uh, from the beginning of the first church, they gathered together, regularly gathering together. Why? To be devoted to the word and to prayer and to community. Uh, that if this is the number one thing that determines the rest of our lives, right? The Lordship of Jesus, we need to be linking arms with other people whose lives are defined by the Lordship of Jesus. And, right. um, we, we can't just be like, ah, like I said, it, there's, there's a flippancy here, uh, that's concerning. You could go find this, go watch the whole thing up at his Facebook. Yeah. Let Instagram us know what you page. think. See if we're missing something. Yep, we would love to hear. Well, coming up next as we get this show rolling, friend of the show, Sarah Zylstra, senior writer and faith and work editor for the Gospel Coalition. She's going to join us uh, about when life throws you a curveball. She wrote an article recently, the Gospel Coalition, about a pastor and his wife uh, who had conjoined twins. And she interviewed them about all that's happened in their life since then and the way the church has supported them. It's a fascinating story that we're excited to talk to Sarah about next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. And Aubrey, we always say uh, we've got some guests that are one-time guests, some who come on uh, infrequently, and others who are just good friends of the best show that we uh, show. call on often. <laughs> best friends of the show. And one of those people is the senior writer and faith and work editor for the Gospel Coalition, also the co-author of Gospel Bound, Living with Resolute Hope in an Anxious Age. That's Sarah Zylstra. Sarah, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm great. How are you guys doing? We're doing well. We're doing well. Hey, uh, there's a fascinating article you wrote over at the Gospel Coalition that we want to talk to you about. Before we do that, uh, remind people who you are and uh, give them a little bit of information about yourself. Yeah. My name is Sarah Zylstra. I grew up in the cornfields of Iowa and I went to school out there at a place called Dort University. And when I was, I met my husband there. And when I was done with that, we both moved to Chicago. Um, and we have been here ever since we went to graduate school here. Um, we got jobs here. We, um, 
have settled in the southern suburbs, and here we are raising our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I write for, as you said, for the Gospel Coalition, uh, and before that, I wrote for Christianity Today for about 13 years and taught a little bit at Trinity Christian College in Palos Heights and worked a little bit for a daily paper called the South Town Star. Maybe you guys remember that. <laughs> um and here we go. Oh, yeah. I love it, Sarah. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay, the article that Brian mm-hmm. mentioned, we're going to dive right into, Sarah, because I think this is so fascinating. I think our listeners will really enjoy hearing this story. Um, it's called The Hard Blessing of Conjoined Twins. And you wrote over at the uh, Gospel Coalition on October 18th about this story. Why don't you just fill us in? Yeah. Um, so this is a couple that I met um, through my editor, Colin Hansen. He goes to a church called Redeemer in Birmingham. And this uh, one of his pastors, um, he had a, three children with his wife. Um, this is Dwight and Stephanie Castle. And they had three kids together and they were thinking about having a fourth. Um, and they decided to go ahead and do it. And it turned out to be twins. And then it turned out that these girls were conjoined. Hmm. Um, they're conjoined in their chest. Um, so kind of, you know, from about the middle of their chest down to their belly button is where they are um, together and they share um, that like the lining of their heart and some parts of the liver um, is is what so they're really quite fortunate but yeah it has been a journey for them yeah it, and tell us about that journey because you know when you have a child you're overjoyed right well you're just you're overjoyed but then when you find out your child has all of these issues or your children have all of the issues what did they say? Uh, about uh, is has this been a joyful experience, a hard experience, a little bit of both? Uh, what has it been like for the parents? Yeah, I think it has been um, completely and utterly overwhelming. Mm. Um, they are, you know, nothing sort of goes to plan as you would expect. And so they... Um, they live in Birmingham, and yet they had the girls at a hospital in Philadelphia. There's a children's hospital there that has uh, basically, if you have conjoined twins, you go there. They've separated successfully 25 pairs since 1953. So think oh, wow. that's like 70 years. Wow. Um, and they, wow. yeah, and that's because most, if you're born and if you're conjoined, you almost certainly are going to die um, before birth or shortly after birth, especially if you share a heart. There's just no way to separate mm. you. Mm. Um, and so, even to to have the possibility of separation is kind of a slim chance. Um, and then what they have to do is wait for them to get old enough to be separated. So these girls, who are Susanna and Elizabeth, are scheduled to be separated on December 10. Wow. So, um, yeah, about a month away. Oh, We're a little over a month for away them. from that. And so... Yes. And they are six months old today. So they've been growing and um, surviving now for six months. They're they're doing well. They um, are right now in the process of getting their skin expanded. So it's almost like they put a little implant in them and it expands it. Kind of like in pregnancy when that baby keeps expanding you more and more. That's basically what they're doing to these girls so that when they can separate them, they'll be able to have their own skin to stretch mm. over that wound. Oh, it's so fascinating. And so Sarah, obviously part of this story is um, you talking to this couple about how the Lord has been in all of this. Can you share some of that? Yes, I would love to share that because 
I, you know, one of my jobs is to look for where God is at work in the world. And one place I love to look is in really dark spots mm-hmm. because you think, how could God be there? So mm-hmm. here's these two girls and they prayed and prayed that they would somehow miraculously get separated in the womb and they did not. Um, and it's just the, the hardest thing to watch your girls, like the, the medical problems that they have, they haven't been able to leave the hospital at all. Mm-hmm. And because of COVID, that means their other kids can't come in. And so they're, constantly, they've never really been, they've had less than an hour together as a full family. And they're constantly juggling between their older kids and these girls. And you can imagine sort of the counseling that will need to take place in the mm-hmm. future over um, kind of a, a, you know, it's almost an adoption situation. Um, when they bring the finally get to bring these girls home, it'll be like, they'll be almost a year wow. old. But this is what they said to me. They said, even in the dark places, the when we really can't see God, um, He is always here. And we know this because He's working through His church. And so the the church people have come around them. Um, they're friends from church. They're like, they will say to us when we can't believe or pray anymore, like, we are believing for you. We are praying for you. They bring meals to them. Um, they pray for them constantly. They take their older kids to soccer practice and cheer for them there. They're taking their, you know, they take their kids to school. Um, they're babysitting all the time. And when they moved them up to Philadelphia after they realized they were going to have to be there for so long. Um, guys from their church flew up t- to move them to another place. Um, their cousins go to, they've got some cousins in Philadelphia. And so when they moved up there, those churches stepped in, they gave them cars, they bring them meals. Um, they're caring for them. And it's like, we can see the body of Christ, even when you can't hardly believe anymore because you're in such a dark spot, the body mm-hmm. of Christ is like, physically, tangibly caring mm. for us in a way that makes us know God is there. That's encouraging. And uh, Sarah, what has uh, I, the pastor's name, I believe, is Dwight Castle. What if he, what did he say or what did he and his wife say uh, in the midst of it? What have they learned about God? Like, you know, we talk a lot about suffering and hard times, and that's when we often learn a lot about God and our faith It gets tested. What are some of the things they said that they have learned or have been learning? Yeah, I think one is God's faithfulness, um, Mm -hmm. that He just keeps showing up. And He'll come in small ways. Elizabeth has a hole in her heart, and she's going to need open-heart surgery. And they thought she was going to need a surgery even before the separation. But that means both of these girls would have had to go under anesthesia, um, which isn't your favorite when they're that Mm -hmm. young. And so they prayed and prayed and prayed. And the cardiac surgeon took a look and said, oh, my gosh, you're not going to believe this, but the heart, the problem has fixed itself. Mm. Wow. So he's like, there will be things like that that make us go on. Of course, they also prayed and prayed and prayed that they wouldn't be conjoined, and they were. So it's not like praying is, you know, putting money in a slot. Right. Um, And yet they can see things like that, like God's hand is on this, and he's carrying us even when we can't walk ourselves. Um, It's just sort of a gritty, you know, you're hanging on to God because there's nothing else for you to hang on to. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's an, it's a fascinating story. That's why I wanted to have Sarah on. It's called The Hard Blessing of Conjoined Twins. You can find it at the Gospel Coalition. And Sarah writes prolifically there. So you can, she's got other articles, how to be a Christian in law enforcement, how five pastors are regathering members and energizing volunteers. There's all sorts of great content from Sarah over at the gospelcoalition.org. That's the gospel coalition.org. You can also follow Sarah on Twitter at Sarah E. Zylstra at Sarah E. Zylstra. Sarah, we always appreciate the time with you. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. You're listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life.
everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. How are you doing today? It's really good to have you with us. We think of this show as a bit of a yep. family, like so we open up about our yep. lives. And you've hinted a couple times this week uh, that your family's been going through some stuff. And uh, it's always kind of helpful as pastors, radio, whatever it is. Um, as comfortable to be able to open up yeah. a little bit. So as you want, just uh, in, let our listeners know what's what's kind of going on, and then we'll talk about how your process. Yeah, for our regular listeners, at least you may have noticed that I was gone the earlier part of this week, and I just want to give a big thanks to Brian and to our producer, Deb, for running things so that I could be gone. But uh, Kevin and I were actually out of town last week and um, got a phone call that his mom died very unexpectedly. Mm. She um, was 68 years old. And has battled chronic illness for, uh, I mean, Kevin's whole life, really. All he remembers is his mom being in pain. And she had a last kind of struggle and just her body couldn't quite come back from it. And so, you know, we were talking with her one day. And then the next day we got a phone call saying, hey, Kevin, you need to say goodbye to mom. And then like Mm. 30 minutes later, she was gone. So they had a sweet moment over the phone of... um, you know, she couldn't respond. She wasn't able to talk, but he read some scripture over her and told her what a wonderful mom she's been and what an awesome grandma she is and gave her kind of that blessing that I think sometimes people need to go ahead and let go and go to Jesus. And um, it was devastating, but a really sweet kind of sacred moment as well. And so, you know, the funeral is going to be next week and it's been hard. She's young and it was unexpected. And this is our kids first kind of big loss, which is always, you know, they were really close to grandma. So it's hard to watch your kids be in pain. And it's hard as a spouse to watch Kevin hurting. And then, yeah. you know, I would say too, even though she's a mother-in-law and anyone who has in-laws knows that that relationship <laughs> can be complicated. <laughs> she was still a loving second mom to me for 21 years and a um, powerful, powerful woman of faith. I mean, she just never never wavered in her faith. And so a beautiful example to the rest of us, uh, a beautiful legacy of faith in Christ. And, um, you know, it's been a hard week. It's been a really hard week. Yeah. I, I think for any of you listeners who have walked through grief before, it's just funny. Like um, I, I yesterday I had to remind myself, like, how do I take a shower? Okay. I need to get the shampoo and the conditioner. Like it's just things that shouldn't be hard, feel a little bit hard this week. You know, we're yeah. both Kevin and I are both napping a whole lot, like just some heaviness, but also some sweet times with family. And I know the funeral and the, um, the burial next week will be hard, but also really special as well. So right. those are important, important rites of, of passage and grief that, uh, are, yeah. are helpful, even though they're hard. Yeah, funerals tend to be that way, yeah. right? Like you're like, I wish we weren't gathering for this circumstance, but it's really good to see yeah, everybody. But I'm so and it's glad really we're good gathering. To yeah. Laugh. Yeah. So you and I, we talk about this a lot on the show. We are both pastors, and as pastors, we get opportunities to walk people through times yeah. of grief and at their lowest points. What's it been like now to be on the other end Ugh. of that? I wonder what it's like for you and Kevin. Has it been like, okay, no, I feel prepared because we've done this with so many right. people? Or is it like, oh, this is not, you're never prepared for something? Yeah, I, I, and you know, I've been through grieving before when I lost my cousin Cameron. So I mm-hmm. thought I was really prepared for this. And <laughs> it's amazing how sort of adrenaline carries you through those first 48 hours. And you're like, oh, I'm fine. I've got this. 
And then the minute I think the reality of what has happened seeks in, it's been hard. It's been heavy. It's been um, strange. But I, I will say being on the receiving end of like our church, Renewal Church in West Chicago, has been unbelievably beautiful. Like they asked us if we wanted meals. This is a small example, Brian. And we said no. I don't know why. We just said no. We can do this. Well, I we said I, no. I soon realized, like, wait, I can't even put one foot in front of the other. I forgot how to tie my shoes. I cannot grocery shop and cook. But it's just like I don't know why I thought I could. It wouldn't be that big of a deal. But our church <laughs> ignored us, even though we said no. And they just said, "Here's the calendar for the week. This person's bringing it Monday. This person Tuesday. Please let us take this one decision off your plate." And it was like. Oh, we need that. Thank you. And so I think just remembering, like, it's okay to accept help, you know? Um, And then, you know, we've had, you know, we have just a beautiful staff and they've all offered help in so many ways. One of our pastors stepped up and told Kevin, don't come to church Sunday. I'm going to preach. Another, you know, pastor just stopped by. Just he had actually lost his dad last year. His dad died of COVID. And mm. so he stopped by just to pray for us and, and didn't overstay his welcome, but stayed long enough to say some encouraging things. And it has been a beautiful reminder as hard as as hard as this year and a half has been for the church. Like this is where the church is just such yes. a fine example of who Jesus is. Like they just wrap their arms around you, even when you don't think you need them to and yeah. love on you. And Man, it feels good to be loved when you can barely hold it together. That's great. That's good. Hey, if anyone offers you meals, I'll send you my address <laughs> if you're going to turn them on. Okay. Off. All right. Good. Sounds uh, good. <laughs> if you could just pass them off. I guess the last question I would ask you, because people, you know, people could be going through yeah. stuff out there right now. Otherwise, we always say, you know, Jesus's words yeah. were uh, when you have trouble, not right, if you have trouble. Right. Um so uh, how as and share what yeah. you want, don't share what yeah. you don't want. How have you navigated this with kids? Kids are difficult to walk yeah. this through. So how have you guys tried to yeah. do that? You know, it's it seems um, the hope of heaven is such an intense reality in the middle of grief. And, mm. you know, I have a we talked about Kevin's niece earlier in the week. She, week. She's asking a lot of profound theological questions right now. But she asked me something like, is this just a story we tell ourselves this thing about heaven to make us feel good? Cause it sure does feel good mm-hmm. that grandma's in heaven. And um, again, this is maybe a plug for Lee Strobel's new book who we had on the show yesterday, his new book, a case for heaven. But I said, you know, it is a good story, right. That we tell ourselves, but it's a good story for a reason. Cause it's, it's God's uh-huh. great story that there is hope of an afterlife with him. And it can be certainly easy to doubt that and to wonder. But when we look back on our lives and when we see God's hand in our lives, that can give us trust um, that heaven will also be real and heaven is also true. And so we've been talking with our kids about the reality of heaven and then talking with them just about it's okay to be sad. It's okay to cry. Mm -hmm. It's we're all crying. We're all sad. This is that means we loved grandma. And so we've been sharing memories of her and talking about how grateful we are for her influence in our lives and just letting them express what they need to express when they need to express it. You know, Um, you know, I'll I'll just end with this. They're kids, so they're not going to experience this the same way Kevin and I are experiencing it. I'm not experiencing it the same way Kevin is experiencing it. Correct. We're giving each other the grace to grieve the way we need to. Well, thanks for opening up. I know it's been hard and will continue to be hard, but um, 
Yeah, I think that's helpful for people to hear because uh, people are probably going through yeah. similar stuff yeah. out there. So. Uh, anyway, thanks for that. Well, coming up next, we're going to be joined by Eugene Park, associate pastor of True North Church out in Palo Alto, California. He wrote a really uh, interesting article of the Gospel Coalition called Don't Lease Your Faith. What does it look like when we lease and not own our faith? Uh, we're going to have that conversation with him next year on The Common Good. AIM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm, and we are thrilled to be joined by Eugene Park. He's a pastor out in uh, True North Church, also the co-host of the Off the Pulpit podcast. But we're excited to talk to him about a Gospel Coalition article he just wrote called Don't Lease Your Faith. Eugene, how are you doing today, man? Hey, good to be on. Good to talk to you guys. Thanks for having me on, too. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for taking the time. Before we dive into the article, thanks for writing it. Before we do that, why don't you uh, introduce yourself to our audience so they can get to know you a little bit? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm I'm pastoring out in Palo Alto uh, as a church at a church called True North. I'm the associate pastor here. Um, I'm from the Bay Area, so it's because it's kind of a home for me. I'm a big Bay Area sports fan. We were talking about that big Niners Bears games coming That's right. up. So, <sighs> if, if we lose that. I'll be very sad. <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah, that's that's me. Oh, that's awesome, Eugene. Well, we love having you on the show. So thanks for being here again. Uh, we wanted to talk to you about an article that you wrote called Don't Lease Your Faith. And you're inspired by something that happened uh, pretty publicly in Christendom. And I would love for you to just unpack the background of this article and then maybe why you wrote it. Yeah. Um, so as you mentioned, and I mentioned in the beginning of my article, there's an uh, artist and poet named Joseph Solomon, uh, that uh, formerly a Christian poet and musician uh, that I really loved listening to. I thought he was really talented, very skilled in videography, and he had his own video channel. Um, if you were following him closely, you could tell there was a sudden change, especially when COVID hit. And then he came out with a pod, uh, I think his podcast is called Flights and Feelings, where Basically, he announced that he departed uh, from the faith. Th- mm. This isn't uh, 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 this isn't a rare occurrence these days. It's the, constru- the, the deconstruction movement is kind of at large, and usually, uh, the articles that I saw and the follow up was all obviously critiquing Joseph or trying to debate him back into the faith. What I tried to do was just to genuinely listen to his story, and as I did, I actually, as a pastor and even just as a believer, um, in a weird way found a lot of wisdom and honestly genuine truth in what he was sharing Uh, Mm -hmm. one line that kind of stuck with me that basically centers in the article he says whatever you believe you have to own it you can't lease it from anybody you can't rent it if you borrowed this faith from someone else now is a good time to see what truly belongs to you so that just kind of sparked everything i've had a lot of friends deconstruct or leave the faith as well so this was almost just kind of a reflection of that yeah. And, and Eugene, such an important topic right now. And you talk about, um, you know, how leasing our faith, uh, deconstruction becomes inevitable. Uh, I love that picture of leasing our faith, but help people understand what does that look like and what might be some red flags where they go, oh, wait, I think I'm leasing my faith right now. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, it is, I think, different for each person. But I think for me, one thing that has always stuck out is the idea of, you know, when Paul speaks to Philippians 2.12, work out your own salvation. And he adds with fear. Mm. Um, I, I, that's an, it's, a, it's a weighty verse. And I've, 
wondered as someone that's even part of these, you know, quote unquote, Christian institutions, uh, the excess of content has allowed us not to do that. Um, because what we do is we rest in the laurels of other pastors, speakers, maybe even tribes or institutions or, or places like the Gospel Coalition or even your, your show. And this isn't a vendetta against these institutions. But as these have grown larger, I wonder how much of our faith is not shaped in our own time, in our own prayer, in our own quiet, you know, just mm. locking the door and just kind of, hey, I listened to a podcast this morning and I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah. How do we know when we're getting this right? Like, what would you say? We asked red flags, but when would you say somebody looks at their faith like, oh, yeah, I used to be all about just listening and doing this. But now I, I think I'm making strides. What would be some uh, some signals that you're kind of getting it right? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, you know, this is I, again, I think it's, it can be subjective to you, but I do think that there needs to have a balance in your life. If you are calling yourself a Christian or trying to be a disciple of Christ, um, do you have time where you just kind of no, no, no sermon on, um, no community group or small group, but just have time on your own with the word, uh, mm-hmm. in prayer. Uh, I wonder how much of that has been lost in, you know, the 21st, especially post-COVID discipleship era. Um, I think that's one sign. And another sign is struggle. Like if you're always comfortable uh, with your faith, with your church, with your community, if if it matches up uh, perfectly to your political ideologies or to your cultural comforts, um, you you might be renting your faith uh, Mm. because owning – Owning a house is, is such a different endeavor than, than renting a house. Mm-hmm. If, if you, you know, you know that like if yes. renting a house, a crack on the wall, you just think I'm going to cover up with a poster. If there's a crack on the wall with, with the house you own, it, it invokes some work, some, oh man, I, there's some fear and I got to put some work into it. It's uncomfortable. And I think ultimately that's kind of the main indicator. Eugene, one of the things that I appreciate about your article is that you say, I'm not advocating for an individualistic reconstruction of faith that happens totally devoid of community because it, it sometimes we can, I think, almost go the opposite. Like we're not going to borrow anybody's mm-hmm. faith, but the reality is the yeah. Christian life is a communal, this is a communal faith that we practice. And so I wonder yes. um, just for our listeners, how do you sort of balance that? Like once you take take ownership so that you're not leasing it? How do you ensure that you're still practicing this communal aspect of our faith? Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I, I think one thing I add in the article is, you know, if, if I'm going to, I'll first use the, the back to the metaphor of owning property. Um, if you want to buy a house, there's usually for the vast majority of us, you cannot do that alone. Um, you need a real estate agent, uh, you, you need other advisors. You, you probably need the advice of your friends and family to kind of, you know, there's mortgages, escrows. I don't even know what all that. <laughs> um, and, and, and in that same kind of walk, I think the same is true with our faith. Yes, you're called to own it, but that doesn't mean that it's just kind of a DIY faith where you do it on your own. Um, there, there is what, what Jesus left us with was ultimately the church to do that with. So I think there needs to be, yes, a partially, my, my article is kind of in two tensions where a part of it is a lot of you need, to, a lot of us, excuse me, uh, need to kind of just think of on, on our own, hey, how much are we borrowing from other people? But maybe some of us too, is there anyone in your life speaking into your faith? Because if not, 
Um, if you try and build a house on your own with no knowledge, mm. that thing's going to crumble right. in a second, just as she has warned us. So I think it is a, a delicate balance, as you put it. Yeah. And Eugene, let's talk really fast about uh, kind of Christian celebrity culture, right? Like um, I can listen to any podcast I want right now, listen to the best music, read the all, you know, Twitter, all at the at my fingertips. Um, but keep talking to us about the importance of the local church, that it's not enough to be like, you know what, I'm going to just listen to so-and-so at my convenience and I'm going to read what they wrote. Help us continue to understand the importance of the local church. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think the church is the place to own your faith. Uh, it, it's the, it's the community that you're called to do it in. And I think, you know, I, I, I might've mentioned this in an article or not, but there was a church member once where I, I he, we have two services and the second service, I, I, told, I knew he wasn't there at the first service, but he was outside with the volunteers. And I said, hey, you should go in. And he said, oh, pastor, don't worry. I'm going to listen to the podcast. And he said that in all genuineness. Yeah. And it struck me, oh, discipleship in the 21st century, we think information is it. Like that, that's all that Jesus asked us to do, to be better informed people. But Jesus asked us to be transformed. So in that, I think we have to understand that information alone is not enough. Um, that owning your faith takes a little step further than that. And uh, even a caveat that I add into that too, or, or sorry, a different point is even for pastors, as a pastor, it's so easy to rent your sermon, your mm. teaching, right? Because um, Tim Keller's out there, the, right. the, what I call the goat of preaching. <laughs> <laughs> Most of us are trying to imitate Michael Jordan on the pulpit. And, and you know, that that's fine. But when you do that, it's not just indicative of you, but you, we're giving our congregants a least mm. faith. Yeah. And how can we blame them for leaving the church when for maybe years and years and decades because of celebrity culture, they've been fed a mm. least sermon or wow, a rented faith. Good. Oh, such a good word. The The article is don't lease your faith. Check it out at thegospelcoalition.org. That's thegospelcoalition.org. You can follow Eugene on Twitter at uh, huge e u g huge the dad. What know, a great Twitter that. handle, by the way, man. At huge yeah. the dad, you can follow him here. Eugene, man, it's really good to talk to you. Thanks for coming on today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. It was a lot of fun. Our pleasure. You're listening to the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to the Common Good. AM 1160. Hope for your life, Aubrey. If it's Friday. It's top five. We love a top five list. We do. They're so fun. They're fun to dream about and think about. Like when we we get the topic, we're like, okay, I can do this. What's it going to be? And I came up with this week's, uh, and then we're going to do the jingle here in a second. But before we do that, it's going to be top five TV theme songs. I love this category. This was was a hard one. You and I both had lots of extras, but we're keeping it to our five. Uh, so let's kick it off. But before we do that, let's hear Debbie, our producer, her wonderful top five list jingle. Top five, top five, top five, top five, top five things with Brian and Aubrey. Nobody loves that jingle. more. I than agree. You do, it's Aubrey's so fantastic. Vote. I would like you to go first. Okay. What is your number okay. one? This is like, uh, there's some interpretation yes, to yes. this. Okay. Here's what uh, I'm going to, here's what I'll just go. say. I am spanning the decades here and the order I'm doing, cause I have very hard time choosing the order, like number five versus number one. So I'm just going in the order of the decades as well. 
that helped me. Okay, so here's the first one. You're going to have this song stuck in your head the rest of the day. Happy Days okay. from Happy Days. These happy days are yours and mine. These happy days are yours and mine. Happy days. Just off my list. It was like the next one Oh, it's like an honorable on. mention for you. Okay, yes. yes. It's so catchy. It was, it's so, like, so catchy. Oh, like here's what's really – here's what makes a good theme song is we can say these and immediately start singing. A hundred percent. Yep. I, I affirm happy days. Okay. My number five is uh, – it's a little bit of a of a story from when I was a Ooh, little kid. Okay. This show used to play on Friday nights and I have this vivid memory. I don't even know if my parents remember this. I have this vivid memory of I had a guitar with this show on it and I would come down and pretend <laughs> to play stop, the guitar stop. as a little I'm kid. During the theme song to the Dukes of Hazard. Oh yeah, that's a good. That's a good one. I forgot about Just that the good one. Old boys. Da, 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 da. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's a good one. All right. Yes, I I, I remember playing that. Music, I like it. So that's my number. Very five. good. All right, my number four, Brian. I know is going to be your actual number one. It is the theme song from a little show we both love very much. A little show called Blossom. <laughs> and it's the theme song that's called My Opinionation. Don't bite the feeling, you know you wanna have a good time. And in my opinionation, the sun is gonna surely shine. Okay, I could not sing the Blossom it's theme It's so good. Song. I listened to it again this morning because I was like, oh, this is a catchy. It's kind of like a blues B.B. King sounding song. It's very good. I do need to tell you, by the way, this will be our first TV um, top five list that I do not have the Wonder Years I on. I thought for sure you would have the Wonder Years because that's an amazing song. It is. I just felt like I, I you know, I'm trying to okay, space it okay, up a little fair. bit. Uh, number four, going back to like when you and I were probably in junior high, I okay. would say. Uh, little Michael Seaver and the oh, Growing Pain. Gr- oh, that's a good one, too. That's a just fit. Wait, no, wait. What? How did it go? As long as we got each other. Yeah. I was thinking of that scene where there, there's a scene where they're singing another song. But yes, that's a great song. Okay, my next one. This was not originally written for this show, but it became famous again because of this show. Uh, the Gilmore Girls theme song written by Carol King, written and performed by Carol King, Where You Lead, I Will Follow. So, you know, the next episode of the Gilmore Girls that I watch will be my first. (laughs) (laughs) Well, your life is sad and depressing, Ryan. Oh, for many reasons, but that is not (laughs) one of them. Are you a regular Gilmore Girls girl? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Okay, as we do this, there's so many more that are coming. Oh, I know. It's a hard. This is a bit. We're going to have to do part two and part three, probably, of this. Like I just, I was just thinking about Beverly Hills. Yeah, yep, that's a good one too. Okay. My number three TV theme song going in the way back. You and I are little at this okay. point. So uh, MASH. You know, you see that chopper going over Korea. Yeah, it's good stuff. Good stuff. I'm too young to remember that show. So I don't know what it is you're referring to. <laughs> We are the same age. <laughs> All right. Uh, my number two 
Uh, Brian, I actually think people are going to think you're not going to appreciate this, but I know you actually will appreciate this because I know you. Okay. So this one is the theme song from Wizards of Waverly Place on Disney Channel. Everything is not what it seems performed and written by Selena Gomez. So I did watch all of those Disney shows with my kids, but honestly, we never really watched <gasps> Wizards of Waverly Brian, Place. That was like one of the we watched Dog ones. with a Blog. What? We watched all of them. Uh, Live and Maddie. And you did we watch watched Wizards. Of, the Wizards of Waverly Place was the best one on that run. Yeah. Wow, yeah. I'm sad. Okay, number two. And there's a deep down part of me that thinks this could end up as your number one. Although knowing how you normally go on these, you're going to go with some obscure. Hallmark Channel thing or something. <laughs> My number two favorite theme song. Uh, that the second I say this, I think we can both recite the whole thing. The Fresh Prince of oh, Bel Air. Oh, what a good one! What a good one. Now this is a story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down. And I'd like to take a minute, just sit right there. I'll tell you how I became the prince of a town called Bel Air. I can sing the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air start to finish right now. And there's another really random uh, cartoon that I can do that with. The Gummy Bears. Gummy Bears uh, bouncing here and there. and it, Wow. That's in my subconscious so too, apparently. <laughs> exactly. I can give you chorus and verses of that one. I didn't even watch it that much. But absolutely. The All right. Any music. honorable mentions you wanted okay, to I'll mention? Just, I know very brief. I won't say a lot of these. Okay. But um, I will say this is mostly because of Seinfeld. But I've had the Believe It or Not theme song from Greatest American Heroes stuck <laughs> uh-huh. in my head for like 20 years since since That's Seinfeld funny. was on. You, uh, this might be your number one, so I'm hesitant to say, but the Cheers theme song is one that uh-huh. everyone loves. And then lastly, I'll just say from One Tree Hill, I Don't Want to Be by Gavin DeGraw. I love that song. One Tree Hill. What about uh, you? Any honorable mentions? You were just all about the WB Network. <laughs> <laughs> the Dawson's Creek theme song. There are a lot. Happy Days was on mine. Laverne and oh, Shirley was on mine. Oh, that's a good one. I forgot about that. Uh, a show that I didn't really watch, but everybody knows the theme song was uh, was Hawaii. Oh, that's a good one. Yep. But you called me out. Oh wait, no, you were going to give your number one first. Yes. Okay. My this this is I don't know. This might be controversial, but I actually really like this song, and I have listened to it outside of the show. Okay, but it's brand new ish. And that is the theme song from Ted Lasso by Marcus Mumford and Tom Howe. And it's actually called the Ted Lasso theme song. All right, you called out my number one in your honorable mentions. I did. I did choose it's Cheers. It's a great song. Sometimes you wanna go where everybody knows your name, and they're always glad you came. You wanna be where you can see our troubles are all the same. You wanna be where everybody knows your name. 
where everybody knows hey, your name. Yes. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, it's a good dun, one. Dun. So good. Uh, but oh, you know which one I have also put on my honorable mention, but I thought about doing uh, Family Ties. Here's the deal. Shows in the mid '80s that was like all about themes. Oh, like big there's, there's time! Shows now you're like, I know there's no theme songs in this really day and age. Song. I tried to look. I mean, that's why I was so excited about the Ted Lasso theme song because you don't have a lot of theme songs anymore. That is true. Oh. We're really glad that you joined us today. Thanks for being with us. For Aubrey Sampson, I'm Brian Fromm. You've been listening to the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.